You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge Knives. Now, Outdoor Edge has a large range of fixed and replaceable blade knives and game cleaning kits. Now, imagine this. You just shot a deer in the backcountry or an elk or whatever, and it's time to break it down right? It's hot. You're a long way from the truck. So time is a factor and you got to get the meat back to the truck. So there's no waste. Your blade becomes dull. So instead of having to stop and sharpen the blade, all you do is you take your outdoor edge knife, you push a button on the handle, the blade pops out, you put a new blade back in and you're back to work. You get back to the truck, there's no wasted meat, everybody wins. Now, if you want to find out more information about Outdoor Edge and their complete line of knives and game cleaning kits, all you have to do is go to OutdoorEdge.com and when you check out or you decide you want to purchase a knife, enter the discount code NATION30 and you're going to save 30% off of your purchase. That's NATION30 and that's OutdoorEdge.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Hopefully, everybody's having a good start to their Monday. Now, I know it's only Monday, and weeks can always take a turn for the worst, but I am here with the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and all of the podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation to hopefully make your week suck just a little bit less than it does, whether you're in the manufacturing line, whether you're driving a truck, whether you're behind a desk crunching numbers on a computer all day, or if you're a stay-at-home dad who puts up with kids all day long and dirty diapers, we, we this goes out to you as well so hopefully you guys had a great weekend um man the iowa season is over right i think i said that on the last uh, podcast last week but there is a lot to be done this time of year now if you own land and you have the ability to manage that property or lease it or whatever you are now kind of focusing probably towards habitat management some kind of habitat management um one way shape or form cutting down trees thinking about food plots thinking about ways to increase cover uh, increase water increase food that kind of stuff and today's guest he does all that Um, you might know his show the management advantage on youtube 
but Casey Shootman is today's guest and he's been on before and one thing that Casey loves to do is trap coyotes and hunt coyotes and um, that's what today's topic is about. We're going to talk about coyotes and what he feels their impact is on the whitetail herd throughout the year and uh, we talk about how they get you know they they can hassle deer through uh, the fawning season uh, the late season when the deer are coming off the rut and maybe I don't know where you guys are at but in Iowa we got a layer of snow a layer of ice and then another layer of snow so anything that's on the ground is probably a no-go for the deer right now Uh, so they're they're eating something else uh, right now, uh, except for, I don't know, uh, not not the grain that's in the field. So we get into a conversation about coyotes. Now, um, that's what today's topic is. Before we get into the episode, we're going to do a commercial here in a second. But I want to tell you right now that if you don't have, an, this is not a commercial. This is me telling you that I've I've cooked venison in an air fryer. My wife got an air fryer for Christmas and I've started cooking some venison in there. Holy shit, guys. This is no joke. The the meat is tender and juicy and whatever. This is like I said, this isn't a commercial. This is a dude who loves to eat food telling you guys that you should marinate your back straps or some steak or cut of meat of deer or elk or bear or whatever you eat and throw it get it let it let that meat get to room temperature and then throw it in an air fryer for like 10 minutes and then flip it depends on how thick it is flip it and keep it pink in the middle and i'm telling you right now it is freaking delicious so i've almost been using my air fryer more or my wife's air fryer more than her but uh just a, a quick heads up if you haven't subscribed to the nine finger chronicles podcast do that if you haven't uh, followed along on instagram uh, not only the nine finger chronicles but uh, the the sportsman's nation as well and uh, all the other uh, brands and podcasts that come out of the network so uh, make sure you're following along be active ask questions if you have a question about uh, let's say elk hunting Go ask the backcountry rookie guys. Uh, if you have a question about food plots, ask the land and legacy guys. If you have a question about hunting the south, ask the southern ground guy. And I'm telling you right now, we've created a community here to help you. Uh, so if you have questions, if you want information about gear and products and stuff like that, hit us up, man. We love communicating with all of you. So uh, hit us up. It may take a little while, but uh, we'll get back to you eventually. Uh, commercial time. Now, you guys hear me talk about ozonics all the time and it's not a magic pill because there's no such thing as a magic pill when it comes to killing big bucks right we all know that but it is a pill right that you can use in the stand and out of the stand in the garage you know or or in your car or wherever and um reduce your scent profile and i'm telling you right now like i I don't want to sound they pay me to 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 rep their brand but i'm telling you right now the the way ozone works on your clothes and in the tree reduces your scent profile and increases just it decreases the chance that you're going to get busted that's that's what i'm going to say and there are times when the wind is right when the uh, terrain is right when the thermals are right and I, I know that I can get away with a little bit more of an aggressive move in my tree stand. 
And when I have my Ozonics in the tree with me, I feel invisible. And I've had so many encounters throughout the year that where the deer just walk by and walk by and walk by. And any smart man would say right now, well, I can't believe that, right? You have to, you have to question it. You have to question it. But the only way to really find out is to use it, is to use the Ozonics in the tree, use it on your clothes in the dry wash bag or borrow one from a friend, right? So that is what I'm recommending. But what you need to do is uh, go check out their website, you know, go to Google, type in Ozonics and uh, up pops their website, ozonicshunting.com. And um, basically take a look at their products, take a look at all of their um the units that they offer. And I'm telling you right now, it is just, it's a badass product that I will take into the tree with me or the ground blind every single time. I have it on when I walk to my tree stand even. So there's that. There's a discount code. I got that right here for you. And that is NFC19. And you enter that discount code in after you have your unit in your cart. And you're going to get a free dry wash bag with your purchase. So that's a big win. I, I'm not sh- sure what that costs, but I think it's like 100 bucks or 200 bucks or something like that. So there's that. I think right now they might even be running a special on their website on one of their older models. Not the newer models, but one of the older models. So uh, take a look at that. Thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. But now let's change the conversation to coyotes with Casey Shootman. Three, two, one. All right. On the show with me today, Mr. Casey Shootman. Casey, what's up, man? Oh, not much. Just uh staying out a little bit of weather today. Yeah. We got uh we got some ice snow mix yesterday and uh the driveway was a little slick, but we made it out and no no delays yep. as far as school's concerned, so that's a win. Yep, I think we got about about an inch of snow last night, so yeah. Which it's okay. I mean, it's been a fairly mild winter so far, so yeah, hasn't been too bad. Did you guys get hit with that uh, bigger storm that came through? What, like two weeks ago? Uh, we had a we had a whole bunch of ice. Um, we got really lucky that we didn't have any wind with it. Which half of my trees are still down in my yard right now. I haven't had time to go pick up, pick up the limbs. But yep. um, if we'd have had any wind, we there it would have been devastating for everything. Yeah, but. Luckily, we got some sunshine. Like it, and it stayed on the trees for like three days. Yeah, and it just—I don't know—it was weird. Like it was like the good Lord said, "Well, these people do not need any wind right now." <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, a lot of ice, though. Oh, piles of it. I've yeah. never seen so much on it stick to the trees like it did. It was—it was, it was yeah. almost an inch. Uh, so let me ask you this: uh, You're a big time deer hunter. Uh, d- did that get the deer on their feet moving in front of the cameras and uh, going to the the food plots and in, in the food sources? Yeah, I mean, from what I could tell, uh, I've got some cell cams that are still up. I'm pretty much done with deer season here. I was actually in Kansas, uh, western Kansas, trapping coyotes. Oh, okay. When that storm hit when that storm hit, but I've still got some cell cams out. It was quite a deer up moving around though. Yeah. Back home. So, yeah, I didn't uh, participate in late season this year. So I am, I'm, I was done, done when I got back from uh, South Dakota, my, my December South Dakota hunt and uh, didn't want to burn any more bridges with, uh, with a wife. So I, I said to myself, okay, what, let's just stick around. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I was, 
I was pretty much done middle of November uh, or third week of November, um, basically because all the mature deer that I had on camera were dead. So neighbors, it's been between us and the neighbors, like it's been unbelievable. Um, like with the main farm that I hunt, my grandpa's farm that I've done all the videos that we've done over the years on, I think I had like 14 mature deer on camera and 15 mature deer got killed between us and the properties that touch us. Whoa. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so your neighbors are onto the game now. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that just, uh, we had good weather and the, the guys that are hunting around us, I mean, they're no slouches and they yeah. know how to kill deer. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm fine with it. You know, yeah. it doesn't bother me at all. You know, they're killing mature deer and everybody's having a good time. So yeah. I mean, what's wrong with that? You yeah. Know, we'll, yeah we'll have more come up. Absolutely. It's not like they're going anywhere, yeah. right? No, no, we ain't going anywhere. Just as long as we don't start dipping down in our three and four year olds, we'll be good. Right. So any, uh, any deer that you pass this year that you're really looking forward to hoping make it through the, the winter and, and show up next year? We've got a few, um, nothing, nothing crazy by any means, but, um, I do have one deer left over that I, he's not a giant deer, but he'll be seven. Um, he was one of the lucky ones that didn't get killed. I don't know how he didn't, but he's still out there somewhere. He's just a real wide bully looking eight pointer, but he's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so you do a lot of habitat management. You do a lot of, um, and this, this question that I'm going to ask you is for me, like personal reasons only, uh, and how it relates to my farm. You do a lot of, uh, habitat management. You do a lot of, you know, observing the deer herd in your area. Uh, and in over the last two years, my mature, the number of mature deer on my farm has gone down dramatically, even during the summer. So, uh, in the summertime, I, it would be nothing for me to get seven mature whitetails on camera, like to the point, you know, where we're talking about six deer over five, five and over. Okay. And, um, so, and then September hits and then there's a redistribution of where all these deer are going, but for the Mm -hmm. most part, most of them would stick around. Okay. Uh, or they would go to a core area and then they would bounce in and out of the farm throughout the rut. Okay. So Mm -hmm. my question to you is based off of your experience, um, what do you think could be contributing to the last two years of, of a big dip or lack of a mature deer on the farm? Hmm. Well, my question to you would be what's changed? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, uh, that's the thing because four years ago they logged the property and it has even gotten thicker in there mm-hmm. all right so no, i would i would think i would think that would make it better yeah in my I, opinion i thought but. so too hmm. do you ever see so, I mean, do you ever see like uh just deer not coming back or uh i don't know like sometimes they're there and then they split for a handful of years and then they come back or or anything like that yeah i mean i see a little bit of that the, the last several years i've seen a lot more of our deer sticking around the, the better that we've built the habitat. Yeah. Um, but the only time that I really see a big shift in, um, you know, deer sticking around or deer doing certain things is on crop rotations. Mm-hmm. Like if we have, you know, we've got a hundred acres of tillable on our property 
you know, on typically on years that it's been and they get cut earlier in the year, we don't have quite as many deer that call that farm home just because of the food. There's not near, near as much food that there that's there. Now we have food plots and everything, but when you take away a hundred acres of valuable food source and it's on the neighbors, which is just across the street, there's, they're going to, you know, bet as close to that, you know, food source as possible, yeah. especially during the late season, like right now. But like last year we had, we had corn and it wasn't anything to go out there late season and see 65 deer out in that hundred acres of tillable ground. Yeah. Um, this year you go out there in the afternoon, you might see five or six, but they're all on the neighbors. Yeah. So, you know, that's where I see the cyclical type, you know, changes in deer behavior as far as where they're staying. Now it's not very far. They're only a half mile away, but they're not on you. Right. Um, right. Now in your case where it's a multi-year deal, it could be as simple as the deer, the mature deer aren't there. Maybe um, it could be herd dynamics, you know, maybe some neighbors killed some of the deer or they're dipping down into their low, you know, your lower age class and they're just, you can't kill or see or get pictures of what's not there. Yeah. Um, you know, we all want big giant mature deer running out on our place, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. I've got several farms that I have access to hunt. Um, one of them I didn't hunt at all this year, just ran trail cameras on it and there wasn't anything there. Yeah. So, and I think that that's probably, probably the case. I, I'll be honest. I, I've been, this farm just has been outstanding from the, from the summer over the the years, you know, lots of mature bucks. I just feel like there is, you know, obviously there's a lot of properties where there's uh, habitat management uh, that goes on and it's able to, they're doing that to hold the deer. Well, there's no active habitat management on this farm. It's cattle and egg, active cattle, active egg. Um, and there's no thought, nothing that they're doing on this property is for the deer herd, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I, I just assume that, you know, Hey, it's, it's in one of those years where it's just dipped. It, it'll rebound in a couple of years. Who knows? Yep. Yep. So, it, it usually always does. Yep. Well, the, the reason I, I brought you on the, uh, uh, show today is because I want to talk to you about coyotes. Um, and okay. I'm going to say a statement and I want you to tell me if it's true or false. Casey Shootman loves trapping coyotes. <laughs> I think you know the answer to that one. <laughs> Dude, I've never like I I I just from talking to you in the past and and you've been on the show before uh you talk about coyote hunting like or trapping like other guys talk about, you know, like I talk about whitetail hunting. What is it about mm-hmm. trapping coyotes or or hunting coyotes that gets you so excited? I don't know. Um there's there's just a mystique about it. Um I know, and you've, I know you've probably heard a million trappers say that, you know, the, the challenge is making a wild animal that's that, uh, spooky or that independent, if you want to call them that, um, they've got a mind of their own, but if you can make that animal step on a two inch, you know, pan of a trap, that's doing something. And I don't know if it's necessarily exactly that for me, and especially here in the last year or two. Um, I get my kicks on going to like new places 
like we just got back from Kansas that we've never set foot on the place, never been there. I looked at it on Onyx before we went. And of course, if you look at Kansas on Onyx, it looks like <laughs> nothing. Right. But it's an absolute trapper's dream out there. I mean, I, I've dreamed about going out there for years. You know, the, the guys that taught me, the old guys that taught me how to trap, they're, they're professionals at it. You know, they go out there and they're killing several hundred in a couple of weeks. And it's like, man, I got to go do that. So going to places like that, that you just show up and you've got to figure out the locations, you know, what the coyotes are doing, um, travel routes, travel patterns, uh, and all that is, is the challenge for me these days. And, you know, I'm still doing a lot of ADC work where guys are hiring me to come in and and trap their place either once or twice a year. And, And I still really enjoy that. But, you know, there, there's just a, there's a big mystique about going out west and like, like Kansas or Nebraska or Montana or something, somewhere out there that, you know, it's just, it has its own kind of feel to it. Yeah. It's kind of like going to, going to Iowa for, for big whitetails only it's, you know, it's a little different, but kind of this, along the same lines as that. Yeah. Where it's just, it's like, it's like the epicenter of what you dream about as a trapper. Cause you're, you're going out there and you, you're of course trapping for fur um, you know, here in Illinois and Iowa or even Missouri, you know, we've got decent fur that's, it has some value to it, but you get out West and those coyotes are just, they're worth more money. They're beautiful. Um, they're not near as smart as the coyotes east of the Mississippi for whatever reason. So they're a little easier to catch. And then, you know, of course there's just more targets out there. It's just, they've got the habitat. It's, it's their native home range and, and there's piles of them. Yeah. So how long did it take you? I mean, I, I take it you've been doing this for several years now, but how long, when you, once you picked up trapping, how long did it take for you to get comfortable and consistent with catching coyotes? So I had a, an extremely short learning curve. Um, you know, my, you know, original profession is, is video production and editing and mainly in the wildlife management realm. And we started doing some videos on coyote trapping for, for wildlife management and got hooked up with this guy out of Memphis, Missouri. His name's Robert Waddell. And he is the epitome of a coyote trapper. Um, he just, he reeks of coyote bait and skunk essence 24-7 <laughs> like you're kind of halfway scared to shake his hand half the time that's funny and then when he does shake your hand it feels like you know i feel like i've got a fairly firm handshake from setting traps for the last 15 years but it, it feels like he swallows your hand he's just <laughs> he's a freaking he's a man monster is what he is yeah and um anyway so i was following him around and just videoing him coyote trapping. And uh, I feel like he's probably the best coyote trapper in the country or in the world. Um, not necessarily because he's better than anybody else. He just works harder. Yeah. Like, like the, the work ethic this guy has is unfreaking believable. Like, when, you, when you're obsessed so much with something that you get up at 3.30 in the morning to start checking your coyote traps, because if you don't, you won't be done until after dark. You've got it bad. <laughs> right. And that's the way this guy is. And anyway, so I was following him around 
and just you know when you when you video something in my mind you you need to know how and why what you're videoing is working um if that makes any sense yeah so i just kind of learned you know i was asking him questions and acting like i was a trapper back before i was trapping and when i was when i would go and edit those videos together then i knew how to edit those videos together and um one of the actually what hooked me on it was one of the first times that i was with robert and he caught a coyote he actually caught a triple it was three coyotes within 10 feet of each other all on traps two of them were laying down kind of docile and one of them he would just stand up and he would stare you straight in the eye like he was just looking through you yeah and he would hit the end of the chain like come on bud hop in the circle let's dance yeah and for whatever reason that just kind of lit a fire in me and i was like you know what i could do this if i just had time and there was a lot of time between when I first go, started going with Robert and when I started that I just didn't have the time to do it. And, uh, finally I got, got a couple dozen for, of coyote traps for Christmas one year. And I was like, I'm going to try this out. Yeah. And, uh, I immediately started catching coyotes just, just because of who I'd been hanging out with. I mean, that's the best way to learn how to coyote trap is to go ride with somebody that's good at it. Yeah. And you learn, you learn from, hands-on experience you know we do a lot of videos you know on youtube to teach people how to do it and it helps then that helps a lot that shortens that learning curve but for me the best way you know just how i'm wired was hands-on watching somebody do it and then starting myself i think the first time i really started setting coyote traps i think i killed like 31 in two weeks with two dozen traps oh wow um so it was like immediate. I was like, man, this ain't that hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um, if you're a guy that's just has never been around a coyote trap or seen anybody do it, you know, you know it's, it's fairly intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. Especially uh, some of the pictures that you show <laughs> where you're just kneel, you're knelt down in front of them, taking a selfie with uh, them, like, one inch behind you it seems like and they're <laughs> just snarling at you so um yeah so you learned from quite possibly the master of coyote trapping did that lead to you doing any other types of trapping for for coon or other fur bears yeah i mean before i coyote trapped i was i did a lot of raccoon trapping you know, oh, okay. I, i've done that since i was i've done that since i was old enough to walk um <clears throat> my dad did it my dad ran coon hounds back whenever you know raccoons were actually worth money <clears throat> and um, we had some old duke one and a half and he'd take me in the, down the creek and we'd make little pocket sets with sardines and stuff like that and uh, that kind of you know that lit the fire in the outdoor world for me a long time ago yeah um and he, and then even on even up to when i started coyote trapping me and dad we'd always run a pretty good coon line and we'd kill two or three hundred every year and uh you know, back, like I said, when coons were actually worth, you know, anywhere between 10 and $20 a piece green. Yeah. And heck, I paid with a lot of toys and gas money back, back in those days with, with the coon uh, fur check. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mm -hmm. so now kind of crossing these two things, you know, your, your, your love for habitat management and your love for, Uh 
uh, coyote trapping, you know, cause you, you, you mentioned you're a big time deer hunter as well. Now, mm-hmm. when you go onto some of the properties that you hunt or some of the areas that, that you hunt and the season's over or what, whenever you do it, what time of year do you typically do your trapping after deer season? Um, like if I'm doing any trapping, um, here in Illinois, um, it's usually after gun seasons are over, but the bow season's still in like right before Christmas. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I try to do some this time of year, but right now I'm kind of buried in the office and I just haven't been able to get out because I've got some serious jobs coming up here, um, in February and March. Got you. So I'm trying to get caught up before I go do those. But, um, <clears throat> so yeah, just after the gun season, mainly because, you know, if you're, if you're asking permission on neighboring properties, they're, they're more inclined to give you permission if they're done with gun seasons because everything kind of calms down here after, after those gun seasons go out. Okay. So, so. My, my question now becomes through trapping, through trapping for coyotes, because there's this stigma that coyotes themselves are the biggest, that put a, the biggest dent in the deer herd right from your experience do coyotes have a big impact on this you know things like fawn recruitment or uh, the deer herd overall absolutely they do um and here's the kicker the the worse your habitat is the more impact they're going to have okay you know so, so if you're not doing you know any kind of habitat management with your timber or or say native warm season grasses, um, you know, they're going to have way more of an impact mainly, you know, during that fawning season because the fawns don't have anywhere to hide or they don't have good habitat to hide in and they can readily find them and eat them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, more, more than just talking about the fawning season, think about this time of year when deer are extremely stressed, you know, you know, we've, like I said, we've had a mild winter right now, so maybe they're not nearly as stressed. But imagine a foot or two foot of snow and, you know, deer having to live in a certain spot because it's close to a food source or they have to walk a half a mile or a mile, you know, after dark to get to a food source across the wide open. And if you've got coyotes that are harassing them 24-7, you know, while they're already stressed, imagine what kind of stress that puts on that deer or that deer herd because the coyotes are going to be just as hungry as the deer. And if they catch a, you know, a deer out in the middle of a field, I've watched coyotes run deer before. Um, one time I was deer hunting, actually I seen it one time when I was turkey hunting as well, where there was eight or 10 deer out in the field and three or four coyotes came out and the deer just kind of looked at the coyotes, didn't run off. And you can almost read the coyotes mind. They just kind of walked around and kind of made a half circle around the field. And they were looking at this one deer, like sizing one of them up, like I'm going to eat you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And they ran that deer all over the place. Now, I don't know if they ended up catching it, but they singled that one deer out. Yeah. It was a younger, it was a younger doe and uh, they ran her out of the country. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, like I said, you know, going thinking past just what how many fawns they eat in a year think about the stress on your deer herd this time of year even if they're not even catching them they're just running them and they're those deer are expending calories and they're they're having to eat more to stay alive and 
Um, you think about a buck coming out of shedding his antlers into the springtime, you know, you, you want to have as little stress on those deer as possible. Right. So, yeah. you know, if we can, if we can go out there and, you know, we don't have to kill all the coyotes, um, on a, on a person, cer- certain piece of property, you're never going to kill all of them. If somebody tells you they can, they're lying. Um, but if you can go out there and, and take the excess off and, and just relieve a little bit of the stress off the deer, you're, you're doing some good. Yeah. So what have you seen? Uh, you mentioned something about uh, the, the cover or the habitat management, you know, like there's no farm. If it's a wide open timber, you know, the, the coyotes are obviously going to have an easier time locating deer just through their eyes. Um, as mm-hmm. a, so um, would you say that the, the thicker, the more cover for the whitetail is harder for the coyote to be successful, whether it's killing a fawn or a doe or, or a deer in general? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, it just makes them more, a little more elusive. You know, that deer could possibly juke when the, when the coyote drives and get out of the way of the coyote. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of the, the coyote keeping a visual on the whole time, you know? Yeah. Okay. So on, on, do you have any experience going into a property that may be coyote heavy trapping thinning them out and then watching the deer herd rebound the next year or the year after Mm -hmm. yeah so what are what are some of the uh what are some of the indicators where the the, you know that taking those coyotes was a good thing like what what are specifically did you see that you're like hey man other than just straight numbers um so let me kind of back that up just a little bit. Um, I'd like to kind of stress the importance of when the trapping takes place. Um, so here in Illinois, we've got a trapping season. Right. And we can only trap through, it's like late January, early early to mid-February, somewhere right around in there. So we really don't have any way to um, do it 100% correct in my mind. Um, you know, we're basically fur trapping and knocking a few out, like I said, in that winter time when the deer are stressed. Um, if you, if you're doing it 100% correct, and I, I do a lot of this in Alabama and Texas, um, try to figure out when your fawns are being dropped and be there trapping like right before or during the fawn drop. Um, and then. So in so that time that time of year, say if, say we're in Alabama on one property that I trap, you know those those fawns are being dropped like late July, August, September timeframe, just because their rut is way late. So I'll go there in the middle of the summertime, and if you think about that time of year, the coyotes aren't traveling near as much. They're, they've kind of you know honed in on home range that's a lot tighter, mainly because it's hot. They're not eating near as much that time of year and their food's readily available, but they're still going to be seeking out fawns. So we go in on a piece of property and knock out those resident coyotes. Now you're not going to catch nearly as many, but you're going to see when you set the traps, like the first three, four, five days, you're going to knock them out and your, your catch will drop off tremendously. Um, I'll still run a 10 day time period just to try to clean them up as much as we can during that time of the year. But um, if you can kill them, right when those fawns are being dropped you're knocking the predator out right then and then your fawns can get up can get 
you know, they're, they're able to get away from coyotes. They're able to get up and run around. And then say two months later, your coyotes move back in. They're not, they don't have near the impact because you've already let those fawns get up and going instead of them killing them as they're being born. Yeah. So, um, what we see basically after we trap a program, trap a piece of property that fall or that winter or, any, or even going into the next year, you just see an explosion of fawns on the property um, that you normally wouldn't see. Right. Um, like I said, especially if your habitat's not nearly as good as it should. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know any other way to really explain it other with other than, you know, your personal observations through hunting or through trail camera pictures, you just, you just get to see more of those deer reach maturity or not maturity, but get, you know, to where they can evade predators. Yeah. So are there any other benefits, maybe not necessarily deer related? Um, obviously when you take a predator off the landscape, other things can thrive. Do, do you notice any other, um, animals thriving when you take a uh you know when you dip the coyote herd oh yeah i mean everything's going to benefit from it because while we're while we're doing the coyote trap and i'm going to throw some raccoon traps out as well so i mean you're benefiting quail turkeys pheasants um you know whatever you have there at that time rabbits as well um and i mean the biggest benefit i see you know especially the older i get is uh it gets you outdoors yeah and it gets you on your property or, or on your, or making friends with the neighbors, you know, or a farmer down the road that, you know, he had a, you know, a cattle herd and you killed, you know, eight or 10 coyotes off of them, or you took a kid out and, and got them hooked on trapping. That's, that's, that's the big thing to me is it just, it's another avenue to get outside and, and do something and learn something about an animal. I mean, cause yeah. you know, we're trapping, we're killing animals while we're doing it, but, you learn so much about that specific animal that you're trying to trap and you have to, if you don't, you're not going to be a very good trapper. But, um, I found that, you know, the coyote trapping probably makes me a better deer hunter just because I pay attention to a lot more things when I'm out there doing it rather than just thinking about, am I scent free and in my access, you know, when I'm deer hunting, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot more things rather than just bow hunting. Right. So, so it's, uh, it's, it's a good time. Yeah. So I, I was talking with a, a wildlife biologist and, you know, to think that a coyote, a, a pack of coyotes takes down a deer every single day. Uh, that's probably not happening. Uh, would you agree with that or, or disagree? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that's happening. Yeah. Um, so when you, no. when you, when you take their fur off, just out of curiosity, have you ever opened up their stomach? just to see what they're eating? No, I have not. Okay. I just, um, no, I've no, I've not. They smell so bad. The way it is, <laughs> that I don't even want to get into that. Yeah. Hey, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Um, so, you know, you mentioned earlier that you, you had a, you know, you learned from a master. What, what do you think would be the easiest way for somebody who is listening to this right now and saying, Hey man, um, I really want to get in into trapping coyotes because a I have a problem. B you know a problem on my property. B I just want to you know extend my outdoor time uh, or you know start something up with your kids. Uh, what's the first step to getting started? 
I mean, I'm a little biased with that. So the first thing I would say is, you know, go on YouTube and type in coyote trapping and watch some videos, do some learning. We do a bunch of them, you know, through our, through the management advantage and just see if it's something that you you're interested in because it takes a lot of time and it's a pile of work. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, obviously there's an investment up front to buy the traps and all the equipment that goes with it. Um, you know, if you're doing it right in my mind, you know, you're going to have to spend a little bit of money to, to get your traps and all the tools that go with it. But then, like I said, it just, it takes a lot of time. You've got to, um, you know, you've got to check your traps every day, the initial setting of the traps. You're going to spend a lot of time doing that. Um, especially if you're new to it, you know, I've been doing it long enough now that I can, you know, I can pop a set in in probably two minutes, yeah. but, um, you know, the average guy that's just starting out, it might take him 10 or 15 minutes to, to knock one in. So if you think about that, like each location that I'm setting has at least two traps at it, you know, there's a half hour gone for one, one set. And, you know, when you start thinking about numbers of traps in the ground, it's, it's not just snap your fingers and make it happen. It, it, it definitely takes some time. Yeah. You also mentioned that, uh, you run kind of a 10 day cycle. Is that, uh, is that standard or it, can you adjust that time frame for less or more or whatever? Yeah. I mean, you can adjust that however you want to do it, but like most of my, most of my paying jobs, that's what we do is, a either a 10 or a 14 day. It's a, if it's a big enough piece of property, um, mainly because, you know, those coyotes, they run a pretty good loop. Um, so if you're out there setting traps and you find, you know, a set of coyote tracks coming down a road or through an intersection or on a field edge, you know, it may be six, seven, eight, nine days before that coyote comes back yeah. through there. So, um, you know, we, we try to let those, those traps hunt 24 seven for as long as we can, you know, and 10 days usually takes care of a lot of that because and another thing as well is you, you kill a lot of your coyotes on weather fronts. So think about an extended forecast um, that you look at for deer hunting. You, you, you're, you're always looking for those fronts for deer. Um, coyotes are the same way. Um, and in the in that 10 to 15 day forecast, you're you know hopefully usually going to have like one or two solid fronts depending on the time of year. Um, so if you can get one, you, you, you know I'm going to catch coyotes every day, but you know, I might catch one this day, or I might catch three off this piece of property this day, but then we get a weather front and I might catch six or eight or tw- 10 or 12 off that one piece of property. Gotcha. But the the unique thing about a coyote is you never know exactly when that movement's going to come. Like, you know, you think about Mark Dury and Lee Likoski and all those guys that have mastered the art of when deer are going to move and picking out those times. Coyotes are different. I mean, like I said, I always tell everybody they move on weather fronts, but you don't know if that movement's going to come 24 hours ahead of that front during the front or 24 hours after the front or, or whenever it's, it's always, every front is different with coyotes and you just never know. But the good thing is those traps, when they're in the ground, they're hunting 24 seven. Yeah. So, you know, time is basically on your side once you've got them in the ground and they're hunting. Yeah. Is there a specific location? And this is this I'm coming at you from a 101 uh level, okay? Is there a, a specific location that seems to 
I guess, catch more coyotes, whether that's like a, a, a gate opening or a ridge or, I don't know, a, a driveway or something like that? That, I would say, depends on where you're at in the world. Because I, I've got an opportunity to, you know, the opportunity to trap from Alabama to Texas to Illinois to Kansas to Nebraska, you know, all over the world or the country. And I would say, you know, 90% of the time, if I'm in Alabama, it's on a road, mainly because there's all timber tracks with some food plots in all these old logging roads. Those coyotes are traveling them because it's the path of least resistance. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times you may have a pine thicket on the side of the road and, you know, they're hunting that down that road with the wind, you know, say at a crosswind coming through that pine thicket coming to them. And then, you know, if they're going down the road and they smell a deer or a rabbit or whatever, then they, you'll, you'll, I've actually followed them down the road where you could tell what they were doing and they smelled something and then boom, they cut off the road and go off in the timber trying to find what they're after. Um, I, if we're in Illinois, um, I would say probably the best is a pond dam. Um, you know, if you've got a big pond dam that kind of connect, connects two fields, because it's always going to be kind of in that valley. It seems like every coyote in the world wants to walk across a pond dam and poop on top of it. Yeah. It's just fact of life. It happens. Yeah. Um, field edges, you know, if there's any kind of crop change, you know, from beans to corn, or if there's, you know, just a cornfield with a CRP edge, or if there's, you know, a center pivot irrigation and, you know, they've always got those dry corners that, um, most of the guys have them in some type of CRP. If you can get right on the point of some of those dry corners, they work really well. Um, I'm trying to think of another scenario. Um, coming to South Texas, <clears throat> anywhere like it's it's about the same way down there as it is in Alabama because it's so thick. So you know, we're trapped along those roads quite a bit. Gotcha. Um, so now, yeah, when you tra- when you trap for coyotes. Um, I, I take it there's sometimes you catch other things like maybe bobcats or foxes or or do the traps that you set only catch coyotes? No, no. I mean, they're going to catch anything that has enough weight to fire the trap. Yeah. Um, so the traps that I'm using, um, I usually set the pan, the, the pan tension anywhere between two to four pounds. Uh, try to hit that three-pound mark is kind of kind of the sweet spot on them. But, uh, yeah, it's going to, anything that fires it off, it's going to catch it. You know, we have deer fire them off all the time, but their hooves aren't designed to be caught in a metal trap. They just slide right out of it. Yeah. Um, I've held some wild pigs just because their hoof is designed a little bit different than a deer down in South Texas. I've caught in Alabama. I've held a few of those, but no, yeah, I'm, you know, the bait that we're using, it's attractive to coyotes, bobcats, fox coons possums skunks anything that anything that uh, is a predator they'll they'll go to it and you know i all the bait that i'm using i make it and i we design it that way to be attractive to to all those predators so yeah what is your bait that you use um i call it anvil um kind of name it after the roadrunner cartoons where the <laughs> anvil falls out of the sky and smashes the coyote yeah um the the base of it is bobcat meat. All the bobcats that I'm catching down south, I debone all the meat off of them and freeze it. And then when it's time to make bait, I grind it up and 
some of it gets tainted and some of it gets uh, preserved fresh. And then I put all kinds of glands in it. Okay. Proprietary information, you know. Can't yeah. Tell you all oh, I got you. I got you. <laughs> so it's just like a hodgepodge of of stuff. Uh, is there a, is like for a guy who's listening and says, "Hey, I want to go to the store to buy a bait." Is there is there a standard or a popular bait that you can buy, whether it's at Walmart or some kind of sporting goods store? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's several supply houses. Like if you if you go on F and T Post or, I mean. I'm trying to think of other ones right now. There's a million of them. Yeah. You can, you know, they've got catalogs with all their trapping supplies and you hit the bait button and then there's a hundred of them that pop up. Gotcha. Um, you know, I, I just started making my own out of uh, pure necessity. I wanted something that I could rely on a hundred percent of the time and have 100% confidence in it. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't like to put any trust in anything other than what I'm doing. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes a lot started, of sense. Started making my own, and it works really well. Okay. All right, so uh, one of the last questions here I have for you. Let's say a guy, he picks up trapping, and he's starting to get frustrated, um, whether he's you know he's doing all this work and he's not necessarily catching the, the predators that he wants to in, in traps. Um, what, what are some things that he should step back, reevaluate, or take a second look at uh, if he's not being successful? I think you, you would probably want to look at, you know, okay, if you're not catching animals, why aren't you catching animals? Are they coming by your sets and not even stopping to really investigate and just walking by? Or are they digging the sets out of the ground? Um, that's a big problem that a lot of guys have, and there's several reasons why the animal does that. Um you know, sometimes it just happens out of pure accident where the coyote's trying to dig the bait out of the hole. You know, if you're if you're making a dirt hole set and he flips the trap out of the ground on accident. Now you should have caught the coyote before that happened if your trap placement was correct. But sometimes it happens. Um, another reason why they'll dig it up is you know if you if you don't have that trap bedded properly. Um, bedded properly, I mean, you know if if that coyote steps on the edge of the jaw or that or the lever and the trap moves under his foot, he'll feel it and he'll see it. And he's like, Huh, what's that? You know, he's not like, Oh god, there's a trap down there. He's just they're curious animals, so they'll start digging it out of the ground. And they'll I mean, if it happens like that, it looks like a dead gum paleontologist had was trying to uncover dinosaur bones. <laughs> like they can dig that thing out of the ground and lay it there, show it to you and not fire it off. It's amazing what they can do. Yeah. Um, another reason they might dig it out of the ground is if they smell it, you know, there's a lot of prep that goes into this <clears throat> before we even set our traps as far as boiling the traps and waxing them to try to get them as scent free as we can. Um, and if, you know, if there's you know a bunch of blood or rust or it's been riding around in the back of your truck and oil spills on it or something like that, you know, um, any kind of form smells, you don't want that on the trap. So they'll, they'll, they'll dig it right out of the ground if they smell anything like that. So that's one thing, you know, that you can look at is, you know, are the animals digging up my traps or are they just walking on by? If they're, if they're walking on by, you're not using the right bait. Um, or you just didn't have it in the right spot and they didn't smell it on that specific time when they walked by. Cause right. you gotta have, you know, they've gotta be downwind of it to smell it. Yep. Um, I typically try to make sets so they can see and smell. 
I like a lot of curb appeal. You know, if they coyotes are greedy, son of a bitch. And if they see where you have painted a picture that a coyote has dug a hole and buried something and marked it as his own, the next one that comes by, he won't be able to take it. He's got to dig it out of there and steal it from him. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, hey, man. Yeah. Um, first off, I appreciate your time coming on and, and chatting with us today. Second, um, you know, you have a, a a show on YouTube called The Man- Management Advantage, and you got you guys have a lot of content there um, for, I guess, uh, for what we just talked about today. Um, is there any specific oh, yeah. episodes that, uh, you know, you might want to point out for someone to go, you know, watch and view and say, okay, now I feel comfortable doing this? Mm, um, good question. We've done a pile of them over the years. I usually do, I don't know, two or three or four every year. Okay. We've been doing them since, we've been doing them since 2012. The biggest thing is, like, if you go on the YouTube channel, there's different categories you can pull up, and predator trapping is one of them. Um, and if you pull up that category, all the whole stream of videos will show up, and you can just click on whichever one you want. Gotcha. Um, I find most of the time when, when people really are interested in it, they'll pull that thread up, and then they end up binge-watching all of them. Gotcha. So <laughs> it's kind of... I mean, it's, it's addicting when you get into it, and, and it's fascinating, yeah. you know, especially if you've never been involved in it. You're like, oh, my gosh. Because I, you know, we typically take, you know, two or three guys every year that have never been involved in it or they want to get involved in it. And by the end of the day, when they're riding around with, they're, with us, they're just like, oh, my gosh, this is just fascinating. Yeah. And I'm like, I know. That's what hooked me. I, I tend to tell people that ask me about it, and want to get involved in it, I'm like, are you sure you want another hobby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something because, I do not need right now. <laughs> because it can absolutely get in your blood, and it's definitely got in mine. I believe it. I believe so. it, man. Well, Casey, mm-hmm. hey, man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Nick, no problem. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Casey, man. He's uh, a wealth of knowledge, really good guy. So thanks to you for uh, hopping on the podcast. Uh, thanks to all of you for taking time out of your day and uh, and listening. If you have a story that's badass and you want to tell, whether it's um, how you learned to go mobile or how you made this kick-ass strategy move throughout the season and it led to you... Um, finding success in the field and killing your biggest buck ever or a story or a tale about you striking out and what you learned from striking out we like those stories too because actually all stories and all information is good information because whether you win or you lose you can learn something from both scenarios so uh be sure to uh, you know hit me up with those stories man also huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast because without them this doesn't happen right so please go out and support the companies that support this podcast vortex optics ozonics wasp lone wolf tree stands and the average conservationist apparel line don't forget to listen to the average conservationist uh, podcast that's brought to you by two percent for conservation also be sure you uh, go check out two percent for conservation's website fishandwildlife.org and i'm done All right. Happy Monday. Have a great week. Good vibes out. Good vibes in. And we'll talk to you next time.